Good morning, everybody. It's a joy to worship, to continue to worship with you here this morning. I'm joined here on the platform by my buddy Jake. Can you say hi, Jake? This is Jake Reese, wonderful member here of Calvary Church. We are so blessed to have him. And I want to tell you a little bit of his story. He comes every Sunday with one of his roommates, Wilfred, whose birthday is tomorrow, turns 40 tomorrow. So it's just so cool. So Jake and Wilfred live in a group home in Fullerton, right by Cal State Fullerton. So as you're just waking up, pushing snooze for the second or third time, starting to pull that, pour that bowl of Wheaties. Anybody still eat Wheaties? Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, as you're beginning your Sunday morning routine, Jake and Wilford are on public transportation near Cal State Fullerton, making sure they get here every Sunday morning. It's just awesome. And so as a tradition that we've been doing through this Gospel Luke series, we started this series back November of 2022. And today we're in the second half of chapter 6. So if you do the math, there's 24 chapters in Luke. Hopefully before Christ returns, we'll be getting through this Gospel. But one of the traditions we do is we read the passage uh, together. And so if you'll open your Bibles, Jake's going to have the privilege to read God's Word for us this morning but I want you to be there already. So turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. We're just going to go over four verses. Verse 20, 21, 22, and then 23. So Gospel of Luke, if you're visiting with us, welcome. Jake and I are happy that you're here. Gospel of Luke, third gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And this is volume 1. Also, we understand that Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Acts. And so eventually we're going to get to the book of Acts here at Calvary as well. And so this is Luke chapter 6, 20 through 23. If you'll open there, Jake. Do you want to say hi to your group? Home? I know they're watching online. You want to say hi to them? Yeah. Hey, thank, you, thank you for a great day and a great life, our hearts. Oh, this is... um. I feel something good in my heart today. Yeah. I know you were so pumped to be able to read, and it's such a privilege, honor to read God's word, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so why don't you read Luke chapter 6, verse 20, all the way to 23. Okay. And he lifting up his eyes and his disciples, and he say, Bless you are. You, when you pour of your, is in the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who reap now, for you shall the life. Blessed are you when the people hate you, and they whispering you, and find you, whispering of your name, an evil, and his garden of the son of man, a choice, just the inner day of a leap of choice, for poor words, great, in heaven of the, your father did, to the prophets. 
done. <laughs> Thank you. All right, you can take this. Thank you, Jake. He actually bought a brand new Bible to read for us today, which is awesome. Well done, my brother. It's a great passage. Talks about blessings. That's the, the title of today's sermon. But even before we get there, the title of this uh, six weeks that we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 is What If Jesus Were Serious? And when we gave that title, we're not saying like, come on, Jesus, stop joking around. You've just been messing around for so long. Can you just be serious for once in your life? No, no. What this is saying is what if Jesus was serious? What if these kind of countercultural, even I'll say difficult teachings of Jesus from Luke chapter 6, what if he seriously is asking us to take them serious and to follow them? What if it's not just something that's like, oh, that's nice, Jesus. What a great ideal. But no, what if Jesus really meant that as his followers were to carry these things out, to live counterculturally in his kingdom and not in the earthly kingdom? And so that's what we mean by what if Jesus was serious. And so today it's this idea of blessings. You see four blessings, Jake read from Luke chapter 6, 20 through 23. Now we think that this is the same sermon that Matthew records in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is famously titled the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. We can guess. Now there's some major differences though. Matthew spends three whole chapters unpacking this sermon. Matthew also describes that Jesus gives this sermon on a mountainside. Luke, in his version, he only lives a couple verses, a couple passages, actually from verse 20 to verse 49. That's his recording of the Sermon on the Mount. And he mentions that Jesus is not necessarily on a mountainside, but he's on a plain. This is a photo in Israel. This is looking above the Sea of Galilee. This is traditionally where scholars would say this is probably, maybe, possibly, okay, it is <laughs> the place that Jesus gave these words. I've read a lot over the last few weeks trying to figure out, is the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and the Sermon on the Plain here in Luke chapter 6, are they the same sermon or are they similar themed sermons but given to different audiences in different places? And my educated, scholarly, theological guess is, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just one of your pastors, all right? I have a lot to do during the week. I can't study these things all the time. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's debatable. The smartest people, people far smarter than me, have debated this for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, really. And I don't want to get stuck in, is this the same sermon? Is it different? Is it on the side of a mountain, on top of a mountain, or on the plateau of a mountain? But I think what we can say confidently is this, is these are the words and the teachings of Jesus. And as the Son of Man, fully man, fully God, we can have confidence that the things that Jesus says and are recorded in Matthew and here in Luke matter because they're the very words of God. And so we're to take them seriously. 
And so we have these four what we call beatitudes, these blessings here in Luke chapter 6. There's nine recorded in Matthew 4 here. You can even cross-reference. In fact, I'd encourage you to read Matthew 5 on your own time. It will give you a a good kind of color commentary on on what you read here in Luke. Really, this sermon begins in verse 17. And we'll go back to that in a few minutes. 17, 18, and 19, and then we get to these four blessings right here. Who's the audience? Who's Jesus talking to? Well, it says here in verse 20, That Jesus turns, he fixes his eyes, he looks at the disciples. Those who had already committed to follow him. Those that Jesus had said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Luke describes earlier in the gospel that they left everything to follow Jesus. He becomes their rabbi, their leader, their, their teacher. And they go where he goes, and they eat what he eats, and they talk to who he talks to. And so the disciples are in this location with Jesus as he gives this teaching. They lean in, and Jesus looks at them, and he says this, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. And I want you just to see the highlighted part right there. I want to focus in on this idea of blessing. Who wants to be blessed here today? Anybody want a blessing? Yeah, of course. We understand that that blessing is a good thing. If you're ever on social media, I'm sure that you've come across the hashtag blessed. Just to reorient you, if you forget what a hashtag is, and I'm probably the, the least person to be able to describe this accurately. But a hashtag basically is a hyperlink. It helps you when you do a social media post, you put a hashtag, you put a word or a phrase, and then that can be searchable under that word or phrase, all different types of people's posts, not just related to you. And so you can put that hashtag to find other people's and to help other people find your posts too. That was a horrible explanation, but just go with me on it, all right? <laughs> so hashtag blessed. Maybe you've posted that in one of your social media posts over the years. I'm hashtag blessed. I decided to do a little social media search and and, and look for the word hashtag blessed and and see what came up. And one of the first posts that came up under this was dogs. (laughs) Not only dogs, but these are dogs doing acrobatics. They're doing some incredible things in this park, leaping over uh, these obstacles. The person that posted this wrote, hashtag blessed. How many of you would agree that it's blessed to watch dogs jumping over obstacles? Yes. (laughs) Some of you are very passionate about that. Some of you are more cat lovers. And so for the two of you, I'm, I'm grateful for you as well. I also went past that post. Okay, what else is mentioned when it's Hashtag blessed. And this made sense. A couple in their engagement photos. They posted this photo and wrote hashtag blessed. Which it is. It's a blessing when you find someone to love and, and they find you. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. It's, it's a wonderful thing. We actually just had a 
engagement within the life of our church this week. Ellen Rosenau got engaged to, to Brandon, which I'm excited about celebrating. Brandon and Ellen could also write, hashtag blessed. This is a good thing. I was looking up to our database and Ron and Nancy Ferris, who aren't here today, but 51 years of marriage yesterday. It's just incredible. Hashtag blessed. God's faithfulness at work. How many of you would argue, would agree that getting engaged is a blessing? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I continued my social media search. This is what you pay me to do. And I now found this photo. Some of you will relate. Some of you might not. Oh, this is awesome. Scissor doors. Incredible sports car. This guy posted this well-curated photo, and he wrote, hashtag blessed. If you have a car with scissor doors, you, my friend, are blessed. <laughs> How many of you feel blessed if you were driving this car today? A few of you. Wow, okay. You like your Priuses, huh? Okay, we understand. <laughs> So we get that. We get that engagement photos, engagements are a blessing. We get that. Oh, in fact, I just saw them. There you are, Ellen and Brandon. Congratulations. That's awesome. You should have yelled louder. That's great. Congratulations to you. You're blessed. We, uh, we get that puppies are blessed. We get engagement photos are blessed. We get cars are blessed. But now let's compare that to the list of the four categories of who Jesus blesses here in Luke chapter 6. To get into the original language, Luke, as he's writing these words, and he uses the word blessing, he uses the word makarios. Makarios, to mean blessing. And it, it meant something very similar to what we know blessing to be here in our culture and day. In the first century, it meant when you said you were makarios, it meant that you were either wealthy financially or you had an abundance of stuff. It meant that you were popular, potentially powerful. In the first century, you would use the word makarios to say a blessing. that oh, It's a blessing, it's makarios that I'm married. But ironically, it was also used to be a blessing if you were single. They would often use in the Greco-Roman culture, the secular culture of the day, they would say you're makarios if you died. And they meant that because they felt like if you died, you left the troubles of this world. And so uh, you would say you were makarios to die, which may be a little different than, than how we view death in our, in our culture today. But ultimately, in the Greco-Roman first century secular culture of the day, the pagan culture of that day, makarios was reserved for the Greek gods. The Greek gods were the ones who were ultimately blessed for they had superiority and rule over all of creation in the Greco-Roman mind. And because they are the ones that were supremely blessed, they were the ones that had the privilege of deeming who was to be blessed here in this world. So the Greco-Roman thought was, okay, I can petition to the gods the gods who are ultimately makarios, 
and hopefully the, the gods will have favor on me and Macarius me. And the way that you knew if the gods were blessing you is because your life was going well. You were experiencing comfort and abundance in your life. Then you could truly say you're Makarios. Luke, speaking to a Greek audience who would be familiar with the Greco-Roman thought, look at who he lists. These four categories of people who are blessed. Verse 20, God blesses you who are poor. Verse 21, God blesses you who are hungry. It continues on, 21b, God blesses you for those that weep and mourn and cry. And verse 22, God blesses those who experience persecution. Now this, I don't have to convince you very much, this is a very different list than those that were seated around Jesus for this teaching would have expected Jesus to use the word makarios about. We get hashtag blessed engagement photos, hashtag blessed cute dogs, hashtag blessed a scissor lifted car, hashtag blessed. I got a lot of stuff and comfort and popularity and power. But hashtag blessed for the poor, for the hungry, for the grieving, for the persecuted. This, this doesn't make sense. It's like, wait, what? I mean, can you imagine coming across a social media post and you saw this photo of the slums of Calcutta, India, one of the poorest places in the modern world where raw sewage runs through the streets. Kids have no other place but to play in, in this type of environment. Can you imagine someone living in these slums and writing hashtag blessed? Or in a similar vein, this is a photo of the dump in Tijuana, only a couple hours from here. Mother Teresa said it's one of the poorest places that she ever came across in her ministries. Can you imagine watching people picking through the trash in the Tijuana dump and writing and thinking, wow, they are blessed. Or what if you were in a hospital ICU, right outside the doors of the ICU in the, in the visitor lounge. And you watched a doctor deliver terrible news to someone in that lounge of what was happening to their spouse or, or son or daughter or loved one. Would you consider that person in that moment to be blessed? This is a photo of a church in the Middle East that was bombed out. This ancient church that people had been gathering Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, week after week to worship God. And one day it was the victim of a terrorist attack. If you were to transport into that room right now and, and step over the rubble and, and see the devastation, would you consider that to be blessed? It does not make sense, does it? That Jesus would list these four areas as, as you're blessed, you're, you're makariost in your life. But here's the interesting thing. The Greco-Roman world, again, Luke speaking to them, the Gentiles, they would say blessing comes from their gods. 
that whatever their gods decide to bless, that thing is blessed. Here is the God, the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and God in the flesh standing on a mountain. And he's saying, I have the authority to bless. And this is who I makariost. The hunger, the hungry, the poor, the grieving, and the persecuted. I have the rights to bless them and for them to receive that blessing. It's so powerful. So that's the Greco-Roman mind. But the Hebrew mind, the, the Jewish mind of the first century, they also were a little off in, in how they considered someone to be blessed. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses comes down off the mountaintop and he says, this is how you'll be blessed and this is how you'll be cursed. It's actually not just Deuteronomy 28, although you can specifically find blessings and cursings in that chapter. It's really the whole book of Deuteronomy lays out this idea of when you obey God, you're blessed. And when you disobey God, you are blessed. And this was the system that the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, lived under for a couple thousand years. And it makes sense when you obey God, even today, there's blessings to that. When you do things God's way, there's blessings to living how God calls us to live. John 10, I've come to give you an abundant life. Follow my obedience, follow my way. It's the best way to live. If you disobey God, there's consequences. The scriptures say you reap what you sow. And so this system still exists today. But the Hebrew thought here when Jesus is on this side of a mountain, the Hebrew thought was, oh, if you have stuff, if you're popular, if you have power, that must mean you're obeying God and that's why he's blessing you. In some ways, it was a vending machine view of a relationship with God. You do stuff for God, he gives stuff towards you. Something that we all still struggle with today, right? This idea that, okay, I'm going to obey, so I get. Here is Jesus going counterculture of the Greco-Roman thought of the Greek gods giving blessings to those that have abundance. The Hebrews thinking that obedience is tied to how comfortable your life is. And here's Jesus looking at these people on this mountainside and saying, the poor, the hungry, the grieving and the persecuted, you are blessed. In verse 20 here, you look in your, in your scriptures, it says he was talking to the disciples. But the word here of you is plural. It's the idea that there was multiple disciples, multiple followers of Jesus. But I also want to argue that he was speaking not just to the disciples, but also to the crowd. And in verse 17, 18, 19, we see who is in the crowd. So go in your Bible, look real quickly at those verses to get a better understanding of not only was the disciples that were listening to this message, but it was also this group right here. Verse 17. When they came down from the mountain, 
the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and his crowds. And there was people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and as far as north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 18, they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. So who's the audience? It's the disciples. It's those from this region of Galilee. But it's also those from Tyre and Sidon, which was on the other side of the Galilee, the eastern side of the Galilee. That's the Gentiles. That's the pagans. That's those who do not worship the one true God, Yahweh. There's people like that that are here listening to Jesus. There's people who have diseases, who are considered unclean, who are sick. You know, we talked last week, Josh did a great job on VBS Sunday talking about uh, the paralyzed man who was brought by his friends to, to see Jesus. You wonder, how did some of these sick people get up the hillside to see Jesus? Maybe in the same way they had friends that, that carried them. They just wanted to get within earshot, within eyeshot of seeing Jesus. And it says here that Jesus healed them. And then there's another category of another group of people, demon-possessed people. There's people with demonic oppression that are showing up to hear Jesus. So you have the disciples you have the, the fishermen, the farmers, the peasants of the day, the, the lower class. You have the Gentiles, the pagans from across the sea. You have those that are sick and, and, and with infirmities. And then you have the demon-possessed people. That's the crowd around Jesus. It's basically a Raiders game uh, right there. But um... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's your outcasts, it's your misfits, it's your marginalized, it's those that, those that were hashtag blessed didn't have time for. And here is Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, giving time to those that no one else considered valuable or important. And not just giving them time, but saying this phrase. Look at the screen again. For the kingdom of God is yours. What? <laughs> those that no one else considered blessed. In fact, those that were on the hillside would not have considered themselves blessed. They would have pointed to somebody else. A religious leader who had been educated. A person that had means and money a person with a lot of friends and influence. Those are the ones that are blessed. We're on this hillside because we're desperate for anything and we want to hear what this guy says. Those are the ones that God says. Hashtag blessed for the kingdom of God is yours. The kingdom of God. This is one of the major messages of the gospel of Luke. Jesus saying, I have come to usher in a new kingdom. You, you so desperately wanted a king. You wanted to be like every other nation. 
And so you set up these leaders who have continually promised you things and then failed you. Promised you things and then failed you. Said they were going to shepherd you, but just shepherded them themselves. And then Jesus enters the scene. Jesus, the incarnation happens and a new kingdom is ushered in to existence. It says in the epistles that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the Son, Jesus Christ. He offers the kingdom. No matter your position in life, what you own, what you don't own, your physical being, your, your health, your popularity, your influence, whoever we are, we have an invitation to the kingdom of God. Oh, that's awesome. A few weeks ago, we were driving up to uh, Northern California uh, to visit my parents in Santa Cruz. And we've done a thing the last couple of years that our kids have gotten older we leave at like seven at night to avoid some of the traffic. You never avoid all the traffic through LA. But we leave at seven at night. It's about a six hour drive. So we get in there about one, 1.30 in the morning uh, to my parents' house. Last couple hours of that drive, it's very boring. It's dark on the five freeway. My family usually is asleep. And so I have a lot of time to think uh, on the last leg of the drive. A few weeks ago, it was when the lottery uh, the, the national Powerball lottery was at $1 billion. Anybody remember that? A few of you, a few of you that are willing to admit it, okay. <laughs> $1 billion. After taxes, that's like $25,000. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and so the last few hours of my drive, as the car is quiet, the freeways, uh, the highway is dark, <laughs> I just began to kind of daydream. What would it be like to win a billion dollars? What would it be like to instantly watch your savings or checking account just change from one digit to however many digits billion dollars is? What would that be like? What would, you, what would be the first move that you would do? What would be the second thing, the third thing? I know for one, I would buy us a new air conditioning here in the worship center. <laughs> what would you do? I was just daydreaming about that, thinking about that. I'm sure the poor in the first century, they would have daydreams about that. What would it be like if I married somebody that was powerful and prestigious and, and instantly my life changed? What would it be like if I had the ultimate fishing catch and, and now got to have an abundance? What would it be like if I moved to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and, and suddenly had more than I'd had here? And then here's Jesus on this hillside saying, those of you that are poor, I'm offering you something that's far better than any lottery, any riches, any upward mobility that you could ever dream of. I'm offering you my kingdom, a place in my kingdom. Wow. It's radical. It's totally countercultural. It's the Jesus that we know and relate to, love, and serve. 
Now, another debate, was this the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, where was it exactly? The other debate in this passage, is this talking about the physically, materially poor, or is it talking about the spiritual poor? And you can find arguments on both sides. There's some that say, no, it's actually more godly to be poor. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I know he's not saying that in this passage. In Matthew, it says poor in spirit. So there is some sense that these are, these are people who, who are lacking something eternally, lacking something spiritually. In Luke, though, it just mentions this word of poor, of poverty. So what is it? Is it physical or is it spiritual poor, poverty? And I would say to that, yes. <laughs> I think there's a mixture here. Those that are physically poor know they have a need. They know they lack something. They know that they need help. Those that are spiritually poor, when you're honest with yourself, you understand, I need a savior. I need something bigger than myself to rescue me. And this is what Jesus offers, the kingdom of God. You who are poor, come to me. I'm not some Greco-Roman God that's been made up that has a bunch of statues that will fall apart or one day people in California will go see at the Getty. <laughs> I am the ultimate, eternal, everlasting God, Jesus Christ. You are makariost when you come into a relationship with me. And he goes on in verse 21, the idea of hungry, you will be satisfied. Jesus is the bread of life. When you turn to him, you will no longer be hungry. You will have satisfaction in him. I know that there's some people here who are searching and longing for something to satisfy them. Turn to Jesus Christ. He will satisfy you. Makarios, you'll be blessed in your relationship with him. Verse 21b says it like this. When you weep, take heart, be hopeful, for one day you will laugh. It's actually the only time in the New Testament that the word laugh is used. One day you will have joy. Over the last like 12, 18 months, we've grieved a lot as a church as we've said goodbye to many of our loved ones who have passed away and died. It's been hard as a community. It feels like every week we're announcing another faithful member of Calvary Church who has passed away. Now as believers in Jesus, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we don't necessarily grieve for those that have died, but we grieve for us and our community. It's like, oh, we're just missing and longing. There's, there's a natural just emotion of like, ah, this, this doesn't feel right. Take such heart if you're in this position. That Jesus said, Makarios, one day you will Laugh again. One day in my kingdom, you will have joy again. And then he goes on to talk about the persecuted in verse 22 here. It says, what blessings, what makarios happens to those who are made fun of and mocked and excluded and cursed at because they follow the son of man, Jesus Christ. Then he gives this incredible statement. He says, when that happens, be happy, yes, leap for joy. When was the last time you leapt for joy? 
Something just overcame you and you're like, woohoo! <laughs> He's saying to have that posture, have that attitude, have that response when you're persecuted. Because, and this is the hope of the kingdom. The kingdom is here, but it's not yet. The kingdom has a reward coming to those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Although you experience hardships in this world, although you experience things that don't make sense in this life, there is an ultimate life to come face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. That should produce joy. That is the true hashtagged blessed. Eric talks a lot about this. In the book God Joy, references Nehemiah 8.10, that last line I've highlighted, for the joy of, your Lord, joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, Jesus, as he's on this plane, talking to these people, giving this sermon, he's not just a politician who is just telling the people what they want to hear so that they'll be happy and like him. It's not like Jesus on that hilltop just saying, I'm going to cut taxes, yay! And everyone's going to get a stipend, yay! And I'm cutting college debt. Yay! All right, I don't know how we're going to do any of that stuff, but uh, we'll just see how it works out. No. Jesus isn't just offering empty promises on this mountain. Jesus is able to back up these blessings, this makarios, because ultimately as the blesser and as the one who took on our curse. Jesus has the authority and the right. I want to read to you this great quote from a theologian named Geraldo Camacho. He says this, It's because Jesus took the curse upon himself that he can declare the accursed as God's makarios. Jesus pronouncing the accursed on that plane as makarios was the precursor of justifying sinners on the cross through his blood. It's a gift to be received with open hands and by faith alone for those who hear the blessing. So you may not identify with being poor, hungry, grieving, or persecuted right now in your life, but you can identify with being the least of these, a sinner before a holy God. Totally nothing to do. Nothing you can do. You're doomed. You're headed to hell. You have no hope. And then Jesus comes into this world and he offers Makarios his life for ours. He takes on the penalty of sin that we deserve. He's nailed to a cross, his blood is shed. He overcomes sin and he conquers death rising again on the third day. This is the good news of Jesus. This is why he can offer a blessing and why we can receive the blessing because of the finished work of Jesus.